You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Man, I love Jesus. I do. I'm not just saying that. His word is so good. Man, I want to tell you something that um, there are some things that, uh, and again, as we go through this idea of spiritual warfare, understanding our spiritual armor, there are absolutely some things that the enemy does not want you to do in the way of your calling. But I got to tell you, I just got to keep reminding you of this truth. And one of the things that the spiritual armor, as we go through the Word and we get our strength from the Word of God as the Holy Spirit, just, man, makes that explode in our hearts. The only thing that the enemy can do is to try to get you to bite into a lie. That's it. There is, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not making this up. I'm not hyping this. I'm not blowing smoke. I'm being straight up um, through the Word. As you look at the Word, as you see it, there is no authority that has been given to the enemy that is greater than the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And so I want you just to rest your confidence on this as we come to the Word today. I want you to come in with, your, with an, act, in an act of agreement, with your hearts open, ready to receive, just saying, God, whatever you have for me today, whatever you have to me, for me today, through your Word, I want to receive. I want it to be a tool in my tool belt to be able to be used for the purpose of the things that you are calling me by your spirit to do. Amen? All right, so today, I'm not going to retract how we got into this series. I'll just encourage you to podcast it on your own. But in Ephesians 6, we see a list of pieces of armor that God has given us to equip us in this idea of how we um, walk in a way uh, and do spiritual warfare in a way that causes and leads us in victory. And so the intent of every piece of armor and what we're going to do um, today is look at the, our feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. But what we need to do is this, is that we have to look at each piece of armor not as a group but as an individual thing. And here's why. Is the enemy will attempt to try to pick off an area of your life that God has designed victory for and given us a key to victory in our, in our life. And so as we understand the Word of God and as we come to this and as we grow and as the Holy Spirit makes us alive in us, we begin to see this and we become prepared to do and to live in a place of victory. Alright, so Ephesians 6.15 says this, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. During World War I, there was something that um, hit our, our troops. Um, some of you may know this. Some of you maybe never heard this before. But um, it was called trench foot. Who's heard of trench foot before? Anybody? Okay, many of you have. That's excellent. And, and trench foot is a rather simple thing to prevent, but it is altogether immobilizing if you do not understand it or take care of it. And what our, our, our military found and our troops found was this. It didn't matter your position. It didn't matter the type of weapons that you possessed. It didn't even matter the great strategy and game plan that you had. Is that if something as simple as your feet were immobilized, 
you could not access your weapon. You couldn't, in effect, do the plan that you had. And you couldn't even get up to stand up in position to fire against the enemy. And all trench foot was was this. Trench foot was when a soldier's foot inside the boot and inside their sock would get damp and get wet. And the circulation would begin to get cut off. And then all sorts of nasty things could happen to the feet, very painful, and it would immobilize them. And so what they did is they had to put it into their schedule, into the routine every day to take the time to inspect their feet. They would take off their boot. They would dry out their sock. They would make sure they had a fresh pair of socks. They would care for their socks. They would put oil on their feet. They would do these things. Why? Because it's something as simple as your feet play a big role in the larger picture. And when I think about the full armor of God as we read about it in Ephesians 6, it kind of strikes me a little bit funny that God would choose to include something about our feet in this passage. And what God actually does is He attaches this, this huge idea onto understanding how He protects the principle of our feet, and it's the gospel of peace. God chose to line up the the anatomy of our feet with the idea of the gospel of peace. And that's not an accident at all. As a matter of fact, there's three words I want you to see as we read Ephesians 6.15, and it's readiness, gospel, and peace. And all of these words are significant in the idea of how God has created the gospel of peace, both to protect us and activate us, even in times of that we're going through tough times or times of attack that it would seem. God said, listen, I want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared. I want you to to always have on you. And actually, when you look at this word in the original language, this is what it means. It means not just be prepared when things are bad, but be prepared and mindful all the time. And the way that the gospel and the way that the gospel brings peace comes from the understanding that we can't just access peace and the power of the gospel in our life when things are bad. It has to be bound about us all the time. It has to be something that is in the center of our thought, in the center of our life. And then the word gospel is this. We understand, we've heard this word probably hundreds of thousands of times in the course of our life. But the word gospel is the good news, in part. But it's more than that, actually. It's, the, it's actually the lived out good news. So we hear the good news. We hear the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ. When we hear the name of Jesus lifted up, that is the gospel. What Jesus uh, brought with him, peace and freedom and healing, these things we talk about, that is the gospel. We see that over and over again. But the reality is that the gospel has been intended to show up somewhere in our life. See, we can't just talk about it, and that's what that word means. Is that there has to be fruit of the gospel, and God actually says the fruit of the gospel is peace. That God protects the direction of our life by binding around our soul the gospel that leads us in the fruit of peace so that we cannot, not only that we live out the the reflection of the gospel in our life, but we actually have something to give away. See, the truth is the gospel in every sense of it is a verb. It's a verb. It's an action thing. Now, that's amazing when you stop and think about it in the context 
of our full armor. Because God is moving us in the midst of a time when we are preparing for an assault. Think. Think for a second. Because when we read the full armor of God, the very beginning of Ephesians 6 says this. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers. And we talked about that. Those are all words for the enemy and the structure that the enemy has to try to deceive us. And then he goes on and says this. Now stand, having yourselves gird up with this. Now doing everything, stand fast. And so our minds immediately go to this place where we're in the defensive position, where we're kicked back, we're ready for an attack, we're ready to do this, we're bracing ourselves. But then we read in Ephesians 6.15 where God is saying, listen, I'm not just equipping you to withstand something, I'm actually giving you the ability to move forward in gospel peace, even when it feels like you are being attacked. Now, I don't know if that sounds like good news to you, but it should. Because it's a reflection of the goodness of God in our lives. And so this morning, as we look at the idea of this, there's three areas, I believe, where the gospel of peace needs to be situated in our life. Three areas that we have to look at and make sure that the word of God is dwelling richly in us and the gospel of peace is being built up. And the first area is a soul is the soul, okay? And why the soul first? Because the soul is the centerpiece of our life. It is the centerpiece of our life. We talk about it quite a bit here. And there's a reason why. Because God created you in such a way that when He speaks, you're able to hear and you're able to receive. And the way that you receive that is through your spirit And it comes out through your soul. And your soul is the seat of where your emotions and your actions and your reactions and your decisions, the birthplace of the things you experience, where all of that comes from. When the soul is not led by the Spirit, we're headed for a train wreck, guys. We're headed for a train wreck. Why? Because our emotions will deceive us, won't they? We can be just spun off the hook. I mean, my goodness, even this week, I've probably partially spun quite a bit just listening and reading the news and watching video online about what's happening in our country. How many of you would agree with that this this week? How many of you have seen this stuff? How many of you have had to make a decision of how you're going to respond? If you're going to respond from a place of the seat of your emotions or you're going to listen to the Spirit of God? How many of you have had to do that in a relationship this week? How many of you have had to cast down something or, or choose not to like meditate on something, a fight in your head over somebody that you're not even in front of? They're just in your brain. They're renting space in your head. And you're wrestling with them. And that's the seat of your soul. And so God says, listen, I want the gospel, the truth of my power to bring peace in this area so that the overflow of your soul can just radiate my gospel. Because, listen, I'm going to keep going back to this through this message. It is for you first, but not for you alone. The whole idea of any time the word gospel is used in the New Testament, the entirety of the New Testament, is for the purpose of it being fruit that is born in our life to give away to other people. And so when God does not control the seat of our soul, then the gospel message, the peace of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel cannot come out of us. 
And so he looks at us and says, please, will you allow me to prepare the seat of your soul with gospel peace? Now, I want to explain this to you in just a couple different, couple different areas, okay? Concerning the soul. Now, I want, to, I want to draw you over to Matthew chapter 10. Because this is how I believe it starts. By asking the Holy Spirit to prepare our soul, prepare our heart to move forward in gospel truth. All right. Now, we're not going to, I'm only going to read a few passages from Matthew 10. Because Jesus, allow me a little bit of liberty here. Jesus is giving the worst pep talk in the history of pep talks here. You go home, make a note, please, right now. Read Matthew chapter 10. Read Matthew chapter 10. You might want to read 9 and 11 too. I'm telling you. Jesus is giving an epically terrible pep talk. He starts off in Matthew 10, and it is amazing amazing. He gathers his 12 around him, and he says, guys, I'm giving you all authority that I've been given. You're going to go, and you're going to present the kingdom and tell people this is what the kingdom looks like. You're going to go to the house of Israel first, and you're going to cast out devils. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to lay your hands on the blind. They're going to receive sight, and I can just imagine them in the background high-fiving and going, yeah, I'm in, man. That sounds like fun. Let's do it. I'm good with this. This is great. Yes, we're going to do what this guy did. Jesus, can we turn some water into wine too, please? Like that was epic. Let's do that too. And then Jesus immediately goes from that place and goes on a paragraph after paragraph after paragraph conversation about the things that they are going to face that are going to cause them to have to lay down their life for the sake of the gospel. He said, people are going to hate you. People are going to push you out. Nobody who desires to keep their life is worthy of the gospel. What? And I can just see them steadily looking around and going, this, this doesn't sound like the first part. I don't, hey, John, are you still in? I don't know if I'm still in. You want to go, like, let's hit Whataburger. I mean, what's going on with this guy? You know, and, and I can see a little bit of doubt and disillusionment coming into him. But there's a reason why Jesus did this. Because here is the gospel of peace in action. And I want you to please hear this. It takes courage to live in the gospel, to live your life in the gospel manner. It takes courage. It takes courage. And so because it takes courage, you've got a purpose in your heart. And allow the Holy Spirit to bind peace around the gospel message in your soul first. That truth has to be alive in you. It has to, be, has to overwhelm you. It has to be powerful. You have to be aware of how Jesus saved you. The radical grace that set you free. That grace that is powerful that you can see happening in somebody's life. Why? Because there are going to be times... There are going to be times where God is going to say, can you go be an extension of myself, of the gospel to this person? And it's going to be met with just a straight face. It's going to be met with somebody saying, what are you talking about? It's going to be met with some stiff arming. It's going to be met with some things. And that is not the point at all. 
See, because the point that Jesus is making is that when we walk in obedience to the understanding that when the gospel is alive in us, it births and breeds peace inside of us, it continually does that. And when we surrender to that, and when we yield to that, then peace abounds in our soul. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29-31. He dishes out a ton of bad news, and he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside the Father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. It takes courage to begin to allow the Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts to move forward in the gospel of peace, but it must happen. I would even offer to you this morning that Ephesians 6.15 is all about us moving forward, moving forward in the gospel of peace. And so our hearts have to be, our souls have to be prepared to move forward in that truth. How does that happen in our souls? We have to commit ourselves to the Lord. We have to commit ourselves to trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it so beautifully. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. We live in a very hour where as people called of God, and one of the ways God has equipped us and prepared us and armed us to live in the world we live in and to carry the message of the gospel of peace, not to huddle up in caves, not to close ourselves off, not to pin ourselves and hunker down, but to carry the message of the gospel of peace is by committing and trusting in the Lord. What's beautiful about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is it says this, don't lean on your own, on your own understanding. How many of you have been in a place where you simply don't understand? Where there's things that you don't understand what's happening in your life, you don't get it, you can't figure it out. Don't worry, you're not alone. We've all been there before. But the thing that God promises and he gives us is this. In those times, what we're to do is that we are to begin to trust him. We are to trust him. And can I tell you how this starts in our life is through a simple confession. In those times that we don't understand, not surrendering to the lack of understanding, not surrendering to the fear or the confusion that we face not surrendering to the idea that we're not supposed to go do the things God's called us to do because it didn't feel like it worked out but instead saying God I'm choosing to trust you I'm anchoring my source of strength in you I'm fixing my reliance upon you I'm not moving off of this I'm anchoring myself in this place And through that simple act of confession, through that act of agreement, we begin to plant our feet somewhere solid in a place of understanding, even though we might not see what's happening around us, we begin to trust the one who does completely understand. We have to ground ourselves in the word of God. I love the way that Jesus said this. In Matthew 7, 24 and 25, He says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus is very simple here. And all he's saying is this, build your life upon the truth of the word of God. I say that a lot. 
And I'm going to say that much more. Why? Because truth is not abstract and truth is not relative. Truth is not subject to the things that we see. and It's not on a sliding scale. Truth is firmly planted on the word of God. But the only way that we're going to understand truth and know truth is by being in the word of God. What does that mean? That we have to spend the time to read the word of God. We've got to get into the word of God. We're all busy. None of us really have time. But we have to do it. Why? Because we get the word of God by reading it. By being in it. And I want to give you this understanding of how this happens when you read the word of God. It's this is that there's two words here that are in play concerning how the revelation of the Word of God hits us, and we need to understand this. And this is why having a time to read every day, it doesn't matter if it's just a few scriptures or it's a couple of chapters. Don't turn it into something that you can't do. Make it something that you do every day, and it's something that you begin to delight in. Because this is the way the Word of God works in you. First, it hits your mind, your gnosis, this place. And it's transformational even in this place. You can read the word of God and you can get principles and truth that will begin to bring peace to your mind. But where it becomes life-giving and truly transformational is when it slips down past your mind into your spirit. And this is the job of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus said the Holy Spirit came. is so that he could guide you and lead you in all truth. The truth of who I am. And that word is epignosis. And it's the difference between seeing something, you're standing at the Grand Canyon, you're looking at it, and your mind is blown, and you're going, ah, this is beautiful, I want to remember this forever, and you're looking at it. It's the difference between that and taking a picture, so that you can always have it in you. And every time you look at your picture... Your feelings and the sentiment of that moment keep going back to that place. It continually refreshes something inside of you for that moment of transformation that hits you. And when we come to the Word, the job of the Holy Spirit and why we must believe this and why we must be in the Word is so that as we come, it gets into our mind and it gets into our spirit so that it can become transformational inside of us. And as it does, it begins to bring the testimony of peace in our life. As we fill up on the Word of God, it begins to surround us. It begins to comfort us. It begins to be that peace in us. I want to tell you something practical that my wife and I started doing. I want to encourage you to do. On your phone, if you've got a smartphone, uh, hopefully it's Android and not Apple. Apple is not from God at all. And... uh, and so, uh, you guys are like, what? Is that true? Uh, what did Eve eat in the garden? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm just joking. It was a piece of fruit, by the way. We don't know it was an apple. Um, I'm sorry. Way should have stopped. Shouldn't have gone down that road. But on your smartphone, you can download a Bible app called YouVersion. If you don't have it, I want to encourage you. I would love every person in this church to get it. <clears throat> They've got tons of devotionals. That range from three days to a whole year. Some that just cover a few scriptures, some that cover multiple chapters a day. Find one that you like. All sorts of topics, men, women, marriage, peace, freedom, all sorts of things. Beautiful, beautiful tool. But my wife and I started doing this at night. You can actually get it so that it reads it to you. Yeah. Welcome to America. That's right. It's reading it to you. 
And so what we do is we actually set a timer. We set 30 minutes, and I put my phone in while it's charging. And as we go to sleep every night, we're listening to the Bible. We fall asleep to the Bible. And the guy who reads it, his voice is smooth, by the way. I mean, it's like butter. It will put you to sleep really, really well. But you're getting that word in you. And I just want to encourage you. Listen, little, little things. And that might sound silly to some of you, but, but listen, every time you get the word in you, it's not returning void, okay? And you've got to spend the time, and you've got to get in the word. Why? Because if the gospel is not in you, if the, if the understanding of who Jesus is, the word made flesh is not in you, then it certainly will not be peace about you and will not come out of you. And then we need to cut out the distractions of the soul. We have to cut out the distractions of the soul. And I understand this is a very simple truth, but we have to learn how to apply this in our life. We have to understand how we need to apply this in our life. There's so many things that seek our attention and will ultimately distract us in our soul if we do not create some boundaries and some guidelines in our life. We have to understand that this is actually the, the idea of distraction is something that the enemy created. It's an original thing, a thought, a temptation from the enemy. When he came to Eve, he got her to bite onto the lie by simply offering up one question to her. It said this, did he really say, being God, did God really say you couldn't eat from this tree? It was a distraction. It was a distraction that took her eyes off of the truth that allowed the enemy's lie to slip in enough for her to bite into it, for her to believe it. And so as we get wisdom from the Holy Spirit, we need to cut out the distractions of our soul. We have to be careful to listen to the right things, to bind the right things around us. I know this is painfully practical right now, but I want to tell you something, that if we will take these tools concerning how God is wanting to bind peace, the gospel of peace around us, especially in the area of our soul, and begin to apply these things, they will pay rich dividends in our life. Because when we choose to listen to the right things and meditate on the right things and cut out the wrong things, it will eliminate the fights in our mind. It will eliminate the fights in our mind. It will eliminate the things that contradict the truth of who God is, the peace of God in our life. If you've ever walked through a tough time in your life, a seriously tough time in your life, where you're facing down something that seems very dim and bleak, and that is destroying any kind of future in your life, you understand the mad temptation it is to try to surround yourself with some other knowledge, whether it's because you're walking through an illness or something, the temptation to jump on Google to begin to Google something, the idea of trying to get confirmation from other people. And I don't know if this is making sense to anybody, but, but here's what I'm telling you is this, is that if you do not protect yourself in those moments... The enemy knows he can slip in and undermine the idea of peace. And the gospel of peace will be completely cut out from underneath of you. And so when it comes to those times when we feel the pressure coming on us, the thing that we have to do is that we have to begin to eliminate the clutter of our soul and begin to protect the things that we are looking at. We need to cut those off. I know that makes sense for some of you here today. 
But when we're facing these things that the enemy is trying to slip in and to try to get us distracted off of the truth of who God is and the peace of God, we have to protect that. This is why God gave us fellowship in the body. He gave us community. It's so that when we link up arm to arm with somebody and we begin to say, listen, this is something that I'm walking through and I need God to protect the gospel of peace in me because there are things God is calling me to. Somebody can come beside you and keep you in a good place. Going back to trench foot. Here's what they found out. The U.S. Army found out about trench foot is that they couldn't give the soldiers an extra pair of sock and some oil to put on their feet and tell them the principles of keeping their feet clean and dry and healthy. It didn't work. They still faced trench foot, even though they supplied them with the tools they needed to, to use to do to take care of it. The only thing that worked is when they assigned soldiers up two by two, and they gave them the responsibility. They said, hey, I want you to check Mike's feet. Mike, I want you to check Andy's feet. That's your duty and your responsibility at the end of the day. And so there's pictures you can actually Google of them sitting down, and then one guy is looking at another guy's feet, and he's taking care of that, that soldier's feet, and then they return the favor. And as they did that, they completely eliminated trench foot in the U.S. Army. What's the big idea here is this, is that some of these things protecting the areas of our soul, that God is trying to foster the gospel of peace, they cannot be done alone. And this is the importance of community within the body of Christ and why we have to be linked up arm to arm with somebody. Because when we are weak in an area, God has already supplied somebody in the body who can be strength to you. And as you get strong, you can be strength to them. This is the, the picture of community, the perfect picture of community. When it comes to cutting out the distractions of our soul, we have to be in community. We have to be in communion with God. We have to pray, and we have to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. So what about family? I'm going to run through this pretty quick. Why do we have to protect the gospel of peace within our family? And the reason why is this is because there's two covenants that God has given to us. If you're in a family, there's two covenants that God has given to you. The first, the most important covenant is between you and God. And the second covenant that God has given is in the context of the family. If you're married, that covenant is seen perfectly there. If you're not married, don't worry about this truth still applies to you. If you have children, that covenant is there. And I want to tell you something. Listen, because we're talking about spiritual warfare, I'm just tipping into this for just a second, okay? I'm not trying to go doom and gloom, but I want you to please hear this and to, to, to really hear this. Is that if the enemy cannot get you, the enemy will get your family. All right? If the enemy can't get you, he will try to go after your marriage. But God has designed something so powerful concerning your marriage concerning your family, and it's the picture of covenant. And so there's things that we have to do that secure the gospel of peace within our family, things that we have to put into our family structure that, that God has designed. And let me talk to husbands and wives really quick. Um, this is one of those pastoral things that just needs to be said, all right? So just, 
If, if you want to cuss me out after service, make sure we're in the parking lot, all right? And I'll let you do it. But I'm being real serious right now. And I'm saying this as a pastor, and I'm saying this in love. I'm saying in the responsibility that God's given me to the flock. If you are married and you have children, your marriage comes before your children. Okay? If you are married and you have kids, your marriage comes before your children. There is going to be another sermon following this one up that will take care of that. Do not go home and fight. Do not do that. But here's what I'm telling you is this. That God designed the covenant in a family, if a husband and wife are together, within the marriage first, that comes, the overflow of that covenant comes down to the kids. It comes down to that kids. So here's what that means. Here's what has to happen within the context of a family for the gospel of peace to, to happen. We've got to speak correctly. We've got to speak correctly. We've got to speak peace in our family. What does that mean? Don't, don't yell. Don't yell. My kids are like, yeah, yeah, listen to the message. <laughs> don't yell, Dad. Don't raise your voice and speak ugly. If the temptation is there ever to do that, resist it. Ask the Holy Spirit. First repent and then ask the Holy Spirit to give you peace and correct your heart. I know there's times we blow it. I know there are times that we fight, and I'm not trying to heap condemnation on anybody. That's not the point. But here's the idea, is that if we can protect the peace within our family structure, then the gospel of peace can come out from our family. And so the way we speak becomes very important in how we speak. And if we speak in peace, and if we speak kindly, and if we speak gently, it breeds peace. The scripture tells us that a kind word turns away wrath. It turns away wrath. We have to teach our children to speak peace and to be led by peace. There are moments in my home where my wife and I have to stop. We have to pump the brakes when things are getting haywire and out of control and everybody's spinning off and everybody's emotions are going all over the place. And we have to reel it in and say, stop. Everybody take a breath, come together, calm down. We change the tone of our conversation. We remind our kids who they are. We begin to speak words of peace to them, words of life to them, and we reset. And you have to do that. Because if you don't do that and you live in a cycle where unkind words and yelling and all those things are taking place in your home day after day, week after week, then there is going to be a lack of of the presence of peace in your family so that when spiritual things try to take root, there is going to be a disconnect in your family. All right. We have to model it in our family. We have to model a love for Jesus. We've got wonderful people in this church, teams of, uh, of, of people that have committed to lead our children. We've got wonderful youth pastors We've got wonderful leaders in this church, period. The best, I would say, in this entire community. I just believe that. But it is not the job of our youth pastors or our children's leaders to model the love of Jesus in your children's lives. That's up to you. We are partnered with you. We are going to fortify that. We're going to come beside you. We're going to show them. We're going to bring them into the presence of God every time and every opportunity we have with them. That is what we're committed to do. 
We're going to lead them in freedom, the freedom of Jesus. We're going to tell them they're world changers because they are. That's what we believe. That's what we do. But if you want the gospel of peace to become something that is reproductive in your family, you have to model Jesus for your children. That means that you have to live a life that is committed to Christ, that's honoring him, that's walking in prayer, walking in a place and modeling this, walking in faith. You have to do that. You have to do that. We have to model forgiveness and grace. I'm the best in my family at modeling forgiveness. I, I mess up. And so there will be times I say, listen, I'm sorry. I blew it. I did this. I shouldn't have. And I repent. And there's times that I, as a dad, have had to give grace to my kids. Not because of what they deserve, but because of who they are. And there's times, parents, in your life, you've got to model it through the most difficult circumstances. When trust has been broken, when things have have been disarrayed, and it's not a peaceful time. But the only way you regain peace back in your home is by modeling the forgiveness and grace that Jesus extended to you. And if you ever lose sight of that as a parent, as a mom or dad, it's going to hurt the way you parent and love and raise your children. I promise you that promise you that and let me just give up just a huge dose of grace to everybody here that says pastor well I've messed up a bunch and I don't know how to get it back and it's super easy because the scripture says where sin has abound grace so much more has abound and the way you get back to that is just saying I am sorry I am sorry I am sorry I love you this is who you are and you stay steadfast See, and, and, and you, well, man, you're getting excited, Pastor. What's going on? Listen, it's because here's the thing. Remember, don't lose sight. I want to bring us back to context really quick. Is that we're talking about the, the full armor of God. And we're talking about how God has protected us. And now we're talking about our feet shot with the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so here's the big picture. Is that if this is in our home, it can come out of our home. Moms, if you're single momming, or dads, if you're single dadding, you're still in it. Continue to give this, give this, give this, give this. If you're in a family where one spouse doesn't believe the same way, don't, don't lose sight. Don't, don't, listen, be filled with great grace. Keep giving it, keep giving it, because anything that God is telling you to give in the way of peace, and the way of grace, will not return empty or void. I promise. I promise, I promise. Now, finally, Justin, come on up. The third circle, the third area is in our actions and our reactions. Our soul, our family, our actions and our reactions. If we're going to have peace bound about us, then that reflects the truth of the gospel then it must be seen in our actions and our reactions. Let me just give you a couple things to think about concerning actions and reactions. Truth and love. Truth and love are inseparable in the kingdom. Truth and love are inseparable in the kingdom. You have to guard the grace of God in your life. 
Truth and love are inseparable in the kingdom. What does that mean? You can't claim truth. You can't stand up and say you've got truth that's absent of the reflection of the love of Christ. In your actions, in your reactions, in your life, if you say that you've got truth and it is absent of the love of Jesus Christ, it is not truth. It's not truth. I'm not making that up. Read 1 John, the entirety of it. Because the love of Christ brings freedom and sets His grace in our hearts. That's why every time we confront Truth, it must carry peace with it. Every time there is a confrontation of truth, where truth must be addressed, and we do absolutely, hear me correctly, please, we live in a time where truth needs to be spoken. But truth cannot be spoken out of the context of the love of Jesus Christ. Because truth out of the context of the love of Jesus Christ is not going to bring the freedom of Jesus Christ with it. Nor can we stand up and say that we have just love without the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Love is not our God. Love is not our God. Our God is love. And because our God is love, in His love, He brings true freedom in His truth. But it's complete and it brings absolute peace. And so our actions and our reactions have to be guided in this dual principle that truth and love are inseparable. That everything that comes out of us has to carry both of these things. We can't stand up on a soapbox or a pedestal or or give an, an opinion on something through any platform whatsoever. As sons and daughters of God, that is absent of the love of God if we are trying to give the truth of God too. Our actions and our reactions are not our own. We have to guard the words that come out of our mouth. Because the gospel is a verb and because this part of the full armor of God is dealing with the way that we move forward in the gospel of peace and the calling that God's given us, these things have to take place in our life first so they can come out of us. And right now as we talk about actions and reactions, we're talking about things that are coming out of our life. And as much as truth and love are not inseparable things, we have to understand that our actions and our reactions are not our own. In Matthew 16, 22 through 23, the craziest conversation, one of the crazier conversations that Jesus ever had with Peter took place. And believe me, Jesus had some nutty conversations with Peter. Jesus just got done saying, I'm going to die. They're going to come and they're going to kill me. And Peter, the scripture says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind and the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What's interesting about this conversation is that moments before, the words that came out of Peter's mouth reflected only the revelation of the Holy Spirit because Jesus had asked the question, who do you say that I am? And they're saying, you're Elijah, you're Moses, you're a prophet. 
And Peter looks up as if the Holy Spirit kissed him at that moment and looks at Jesus and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Woo! And Jesus looks at him and says, flesh and blood, Peter, has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has. <laughs> Peter's like, oh, I get the gold star today. This is great. And then I'm sure Peter moved from that place as the words that next came out of Jesus' mouth saying, I'm going to be killed. They're going to come and they're going to take me and they're going to kill me. And Peter moved from the place of the responsiveness of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see this really quick. He moved from that place and he stepped out of it into his own thoughts, his own words. And he made his reactions and his actions his own. He disowned what the Holy Spirit said and he moved into his own self. And he pulled Jesus aside as if to say, your star pupil is here, Jesus. i got to have a word for you. I don't want to embarrass you in front of the other guys. But I want you to know that ain't never going to happen on my watch. Ain't nobody going to come and get you. I'm a big, bad dude. And Jesus' response to him moved past Peter. It moved past Peter because on the surface it seems cruel and it seems harsh what Jesus says. But he moves past Peter and he goes right into the soul of Peter. And he says, listen, devil, uh uh-uh. This is not, this is not what's happening. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Listen to this. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter moved out of the place of allowing the Holy Spirit to own his reactions and his actions into, and back to taking ownership into those places. And as a people who are called to carry the gospel of peace, we have to guard the things that come out of our mouth. We have to make sure that our actions and our reactions are being led by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That maybe right now in the day and age we live in, maybe the volatile time that we see our world shaping up to be in right now, maybe as sons and daughters of God, people called of God, maybe the smartest thing we can do Maybe the healthiest thing we can do. Maybe the thing that's going to show people the most presence of Jesus, the gospel of truth that has the best opportunity to bring them into freedom and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Maybe the best thing we can do before we say anything is to pray. Before we release anything, any comment, any opinion, again, on any platform, before we interject, maybe we need to be what the scripture says and encourage us to be, be slow to speak. Slow to respond. That we become a people who pray. And say, God, what do you want me to say? How should I respond to this? What should my reaction be that leads people into the understanding of your gospel that brings peace? And then finally, your life is meant to bear fruit and to give it away. And as the gospel of peace is seated within our soul, In the context of our family, in our actions, in our reactions, what takes place is this. Is we become a people, what Ephesians 6.15 says, that we're ready 
that we're ready. That we're ready to allow the gospel to come out of us to the world around us. Why? Because you are called to do that. You are called to do that. You are called to do that. And this morning, the challenge just comes to us in a simple way. The encouragement comes to us in a simple way. If you don't feel the gospel of peace and the power of gospel, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in your life, in the next few minutes as we go to pray, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where in my life do you need to fortify the gospel of peace at? Is there a place in the area in the seat of my soul that I'm not trusting you? That maybe I fill my, my thoughts and my mind up with the wrong things. Maybe right now in this moment you're going through a time where you're feeling pressure. And it feels like you're being attacked. And the temptation is to take your eyes off of Jesus. And as we go in prayer this morning, maybe the confession of your heart needs to be, Holy Spirit, would you reassure me with your peace and help me to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ? Would you help me to seat in my soul the idea that I am called to go to carry this gospel to the people around me, whether it's in my family or my workplace or my school, these areas? Maybe there's, there hasn't been peace in your family for a long time, and the Holy Spirit has given you a beautiful opportunity for peace to be reestablished. And if you would just take a moment today as we close, we'll have some people up here to pray if you need somebody to pray with. But if you take a minute and just say, Holy Spirit, would you help me put peace back into my family? And maybe it's as simple as this, as allowing the Holy Spirit to help your, your speech. That you're making your home a no-yell zone from here on out. Or you're saying, listen, there's a place that I need to ask forgiveness for. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness to your spouse. Maybe you've allowed words or actions to come between you two. Or your children. Or children, you need to ask forgiveness to your parents. Or maybe your actions and your reactions this week have been separated from the truth of the love of God in your heart. And they've been absent of the truth of the gospel of peace. What if we as a church committed to pray for 10 minutes every day for the things that are happening in our country? Let me tell you something. I don't think there's one person in this church that right now sitting in any chair here that struggles with this, but it's something that I need to, I need to say. If there's any kind of sideways thinking concerning racial inclusive, in, inclusiveness within the body of Christ, I want to tell you right now that you're going to be in, a, in an incredible state of lack of understanding when you see heaven. And there is absolutely no room within the body of Christ. There's no room 
within the body of Christ for any kind of hate. Zero. None. Period. End of story. There's no room within the body of Christ for any kind of prejudice, any kind of discrimination. There's none. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. There's none. There's none. There's none. But what if we committed to praying for 10 minutes every day for our nation? Because the things that need to heal our nation and the things that need to be done and need to be wound into the fabric of our nation to bring our eyes back to Jesus Christ can only happen through prayer. Would you make that commitment? Would you commit to praying for our nation for 10 minutes a day? And asking God to touch and heal our nation. If we would, I believe God would do something powerful and, and transformational within our nation. I do. As a matter of fact, I believe that's the only answer that we have for the future of our nation. No matter where it is in your life today, the Holy Spirit is here to bring peace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that you have prepared us, that you have seated in our hearts, in our souls, in our families, in our actions, in our reactions, the gospel of peace. Jesus, you are the gospel. I pray for every person here, God, that you would begin to touch us with a fresh revelation of the understanding of the grace by which we have been saved. That you would remind us of that beautiful grace, that beautiful work. That you would seed it so deep in our spirit that it would become fruit in us that could be carried to the world around us. Father, I pray for every person here that feels like they're undergoing some kind of pressure, some kind of attack from the enemy. Lord, let that peace surround them. Let it comfort them. Let it remind them that you have overcome, that there's not an enemy, there's not a threat, there's not a fear that is greater than the peace, Jesus, that you have given us through your name. Thank you, Jesus, for that over every person. Father, I pray for families even this morning, Father God, where peace needs to rule and reign. God, I pray that your peace would begin to be seated and established there through our words and our actions and the way that we model you. Jesus, we love you and we honor you. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? If I can just have one or two ministry couples come on up. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for coming and just being a part of our service. If you're a guest, thank you for joining us. It's our honor to have you. This morning, as we close in a second, you're dismissed. And as we close, if you need prayer for anything, if you're walking through anything, even if it is something that sits outside the context of this message, if you need prayer for healing, if you need prayer for restoration, peace, anything, we want to pray with you. We love you. We know that Jesus loves you. We know that his grace is sufficient for you. So, Father, I bless every person here in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your great grace over us. In Jesus' name, amen.